What a moment. What a moment for Taylor Davis. First major league home run. Show and go for Friday, March 3rd. We've got Jared Eikhoff with us. Parts of seven major league seasons, five with the Phillies, one with the Mets, one with the Pirates. These two met in Indianapolis. How about that? So, Taylor, before we get into Jared, um, you guys didn't know each other before 2022. What were your first uh, experiences like with Jared Eikhoff? Yeah, so my first experience, I saw him like walking around the clubhouse in Bradenton a couple times, and I knew he signed. I was a little intimidated because I knew that Jared had a bunch of time, and I didn't know what to expect. Um, and I saw him walking around the clubhouse in Bradenton a couple times, and I kind of sw- he was talking to Hunter Owen at one point, and I ventured over. I was like, all right, now's my chance. Like he's gonna be nice. It's when he's talking to Hunter Owen. Like I know Hunter, so we're safe. Uh, and then he was like the nicest guy ever, and we just kind of it kind of started there. Um, very similar interests, you know, baseball uh, off the field. Other than the fact that he games his brain out. I don't play video games, so like I'm an odd bird in baseball. But uh, yeah. outside of that, man, we uh, we clicked pretty early, and you know I think the thing that really kept us together as far as like during the season was just how consistent our thinking is with like the importance of culture in the game, and how we feel like there could be some some lack of like some losing of culture, and um, I think that that really honestly like. I think that really kept us together and, and it really helped our team in Indy. Like, I think if you ask a lot of those guys, that was our main push, right? It was not necessarily like to pep guys up. It was just like, get this consistent message of like keeping and creating that, that culture to make baseball fun. Jared, would you describe yourself as nicest guy ever? Um, I never, I never put labels like on myself, but I try to be as open and welcome uh, to everyone as, 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 as I can. And I think that's like, as a clubhouse guy, as a baseball guy, like nobody wants to be, or you hear story, like stories of guys like, Oh yeah, he was a prick. That guy's a prick. Like, and like, and so that's one thing. And this is before I was in pro ball. Like you're a college guy, you get a chance to meet a big leaguer and you're excited to meet him. And he's like, just completely uninterested in you. And like, so, and I, I, so I vowed it a long time, like, and not that I was ever this person, but I was like, I am at any stage of my career, I'm never going to be that guy. I want to be someone that I can uh, relate to, help, um, like lift up guys, or like I said, just kind of funnel, funnel things the right direction. Like you said, culture, um, all of that, you know, TD hit that like nail on the head. Like, it's just exactly what, um, you know, I think that clubhouse is all about and what we were trying to do there, there at Indy. We're gonna I said go. like, I said like, you know, I, I don't think that, I think that we throw around the term like, man, like that guy treated me like a veteran right when I got to the big leagues or whatever. And I told Jack on um, the last interview we did, I was like, you know, honestly, like, you just want to be treated like a person. And I think that's where like, it's 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 like everything else that's going on in America right now, right? Like, you just want to be treated the exact same as the guy sitting next to you, whether he has ten years of service time or whether he has one day. Like, that's all you're looking for. You're not looking to be treated like a veteran. You're looking for the entire clubhouse to be treated the same. You know, we're going to get into a bunch. We're going to get into your, you know, Phillies career. We're going to get into how you made your way here. We're going to get into, um, you know, the last couple of years in your career. But um, I I find it really interesting when Taylor talks about your guys' dynamic because he was, you know, telling me about how you guys interacted before you came on. And even then in the first three, four minutes, it's easy to pick up that you guys view baseball in a very similar way. And you guys view 
being in a clubhouse in a very similar way. You guys were in a really young clubhouse in Indianapolis last year. You were in a very young organization in Pittsburgh last year. Um, you know, I, I'm just curious, like, as as somebody who can be seen as as a vet now, how important is that teaching role to you? And just like teaching guys how to navigate the waters of being on the precipice of Major League Baseball and finally getting to Major League Baseball. Well, yeah, I, I think for me, when I was first coming up, um, you know, I was in double A. I was around guys like Kyle McClellan. Um, he pitched for the Cardinals for uh, a handful of years. He won a, won a World Series with them. And he was in double A out of really weird circumstances. This guy had like three like three or four years service time, and he was in double A. I think he had an injury he was coming back from. Long story short, this was with Texas at the time. And this was might have been his last season playing. So I was just lucky to be around a guy like that when I first came up. He was uh, – I remember sitting in the dugout with him, and he was like – I was like, man, like I used to, I remember you, I, when I was growing up, I loved watching you pitch. He's like, man, you, you know how to make a guy feel old, you know? Um, and it was, it was funny, but it was, it was lighthearted. He, you know, he was a great guy, a uh, great mentor and taught me a lot in the short time. You know, I was, when I first got to double A, that was six starts to, to finish the 2013 season. And um, yeah, just having guys like that and you, you hope you're, your uh, time in professional baseball, you cross guys like that. So um, I crossed that pass with him. And then, you know, again, you kind of self-reflect and you're like, okay, well, if I ever am fortunate enough to play for that long and see some things that tons of people haven't seen, then I'm going to, like I said, pay it forward. I'm going to try to help this person or the entire clubhouse in Indy, you know, with, with with the amount of age and, 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 inexperience they had uh you want to try to just help in any way you can and with that clubhouse uh you know atmosphere you just want to you know i treat everybody the same like td was saying you want to treat everyone the same like and i expect i i hope that i don't project a certain uh yeah i've you know the service time i i hope that on the same end i'm not projecting that i'm not approachable based on my service time and the stuff that i've seen it's actually the opposite i i almost hope that Amy is a guy that has no time and I'm just another one of the guys like that. And that's, that may be rare in professional baseball because I think guys want that, you know, I think it's easy for guys to want that notoriety. They want that, like, I've got time to stay away from me. Yeah. Like that's the opposite of what I want to feel. Totally. And, And you know what that comes, I think that's part of like our belief, like something that I remember from, from early on when I started going to like the players association meetings that you don't really hear, you don't really hear this a lot until you get to the big leagues, which is sad, but it's like, you hear the, the conversations about how like you're doing this because of what past generations did to get you to this point. And the reality is like, you want to help that you want to be the next generation that does that. And it's like, for me, it's led to little stuff, right? Like when me and Jared would be walking to the field on the way to the, on the way to the field, if we saw two guys that were, that were, you know, younger guys that, weren't minor league free agents or something. And we were all in Starbucks, like me and Jed are picking their Starbucks up and they're like, Hey, let me get that. You know, I think both of our conversations, those guys, it's always like, look, man, I had somebody do this for me. You do it for the next guy. Like I'm going to take you out to dinner this week because I know you're making no money. Like don't, you know, I appreciate you saying thank you, but like, just do it for somebody else. And, and I think that like, that's um, a mindset that, that like our generation came up with. And I think that it leads into like, depending on the person it leads into, Hey, like I've been there. 
I've done that. I'd love to help. Use me because I have the five years. Don't look at me because I have the five years and go, oh, I, I don't need to. I need to stay away from that guy. And and I think that that's like. But I will say this: like without question, there are one hundred percent dudes that are like that. There are absolutely guys that that we both played with that you know they have those five years and they're like, hey, I don't. I'm not going to deal with you. I've got time. I've got other things to worry about. Um, you know what? That's the prerogative, man. Like that, you you do. You know, it, it's just an individual game played as a team. You got to make a decision. But it, I just think that makes the. I think that makes the season so much longer when you do that. One hundred percent. And you know, you guys both had to like. I think you guys came from very similar baselines in professional baseball, where you had to prove it at each stop, right? Jared, you were a fifteenth round pick. Taylor, you were an undrafted free agent. Like you. You're not going to get the pass if you have an eight ERA and high A and you're going to start the next year in double. Like you have to succeed at each stop. When you have people like that, does that almost give you a bit more confidence where it's like, hey, somebody that has shown me the ropes has has like given me the idea that, hey, you know, if I succeed, I can do this. I can reach what they have reached. I think the biggest thing is like you have got to figure out a way as a player to create and be around as little stress as possible. Yeah. Everything in your day has got to be solely focused on playing baseball. Like that was one thing that Joe Madden was so great about. That's why like all of most of Joe Madden's policies about what you wear and how you show up to the ballpark and all that. He talked about how when he was in Tampa, uh, his first couple years in Tampa, he had this really big mix. He had these really like older guys with a bunch of money and he had these brand new guys making no money. And he's like, the older guys that were wearing the Gucci suits on the plane were getting on to the younger guys for not wearing this stuff. And he's like, you know, I understood it. It was, it was the way of the game, but it was taking away from what they were doing on the field. And I think that when you have those guys in the clubhouse, when you have Jared going up and talking to the guys that aren't pitching, that takes that away from them. They feel, they feel wanted. They take some stress away from them. They don't have to stress out about, man, like, am I doing the right stuff? Am I, am I going about my day right? And in turn, that's got to create some confidence on the on the field, right? Yeah, without question. I think that, you know, you're going to hear it all the time. But, like, look good, feel good, play good, man. It's true. And same thing, right? Like, the the I, I, almost more so probably for hitters than pitchers. But, like, dude, if you're thinking about anything while you hit, you're out. Like, it's it's not it, – it's the hardest thing to do when, when you have a clear mind. So, having anything else going on, yeah, you, you don't forget about it. Yeah, it, I would I – would, 100%. And for most most seasons for me, I, I'm I'm typically a um, leader by example. I, I usually – I really am – I'm pretty quiet uh, for the most part. Uh, but as I've gotten older in the game and, like, you experience things, it kind of, like, flows out of you because you just – you genuinely want to just help other people, especially in that young clubhouse. So that's where, for me, like, this past year – maybe I would say the past two years – it's really kind of like flowed out because it's, you know, the things you've seen and, and done. And I, like I said, I'm a leader by example. I'm, I am a stickler for the process and the process over the course of time, if, if done the right way, like wins, that's going to win. And how often can you stick to that is that's going to define winning in just how I, how I process things. And so like, if I, in spring training, I know people would, were watching me and I know people were watching it because they would say, a month or two later, like, man, you're still doing that. And I'm like, yeah, I am. Because I know that this is what 
gets me open, gets my hips open. This gets my, um, makes my back feel good so that I can perform on the field. Like, so little things that matter, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the overflowing stuff, the talking about the game in the dugout, you know, noticing something like, Hey, like I noticed you, you were kind of like spiking your, your spike in your, your OO curveballs. Like what, what were you thinking there? And if you, you just kind of dive in and it just, it, like you said, it takes the pressure off. It, it forces conversation and forces thought to kind of sharpen and kind of hit, be those gutters uh, per se, as that ball is getting closer to the plate or in his mind of what he's trying, what he's trying to accomplish. I've said like the best coaches, like the best, uh, like the best atmospheres. It's not necessarily about most learning. It's about creating conversation. You got to create that conversation in the, in the dugout. And like, I believe that, you know, so few people uh, know what they actually do. Most people know what they think to create some sort of an outcome, right? Like most people go, okay, I think about putting my right foot down and doing this and it ends up looking like this. Right. Very few people can look at a camera and look at a video of themselves and go, man, like I thought I was doing that. And I did that. I, there are elite guys without question that can do that. But you've got to create those thought patterns and you've got to figure out what those thought patterns are. And I think that's one thing in the way that we handle today's game. It's so analytically driven and so movement driven, which is I mean, I get it right. Like that we're, we're breaking it down as far as we can. But so few people understand those movements. So we've got to figure out the way that they think to change those movements. And I think that, you know, one thing like watching Jared work, he's an incredible worker. And I don't mean that like he's not necessarily, I don't want to say he's like the hardest worker. Like he works really hard, but like, it's not like he's doing the hardest stuff in the world, but it's, it's really scheduled and it's really routine oriented and he does it every single day. And he's the definition of like, uh, when you hear the quote of like a good guy, a, a great, a great something does it until they get it right. A master does it until they can't get it wrong. That's Jared, right? Like he's out there playing catch until his arm falls off because he wants to make sure that he's throwing that curveball where he wants to until he cannot get it wrong. And then the next day he's out there on the mound doing the exact same thing, making sure his footwork, hey, like is my footwork in the right spot? If it's not, I'm going to do all these reps until I can subconsciously do it without having to worry about it. When did you establish your routine and, and how often does it change? Uh, mine was established. It definitely changes. So it, it man, I, I got it. I think from my, I think it's from my dad. I really, it's hard to, to like to, to find the start point. Um, I was always kind of process oriented, like in, whether it's in school or whatever. And then like once I finally got to college and I, I literally could just do baseball. It was like the, like the, literally the best thing ever. Like I'm literally, I, I'm not getting paid, but I'm, I'm getting school paid for to play baseball. Like this is unbelievable. Cause I was a multi-sport athlete in high school. And so I got to, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I got to finally spend all my time on the thing that I literally like to do the most. And I love to spend time on, I love to practice. And so I just, it, it definitely changed throughout the course of time, whether it was first, it was just like dry work. And then it became like, obviously playing catch was always a thing like execution. But you got to, you got to be around, you got to be around a ton of dudes that were really talented that like you picked up something yeah. from a guy here, a guy there that created right. your routine. I think that's why your routine changes. It's not necessarily because you changed, but it's like, you see 
uh, somebody else doing something. It doesn't have to be a veteran, but you see somebody else doing something. You're like, wow, like that looks like it could work. I'm going to add that to my routine or it's something that goes against what you had been doing previously. And you're like, Oh, I'm going to take that out of my routine and put this in. Yep. It's yeah. Or the facilities that I've had the luxury of, of, of seeing in organizations. I've the multiple organizations I've had a, a privilege to see how they do it. And it's, you know, you have to try new things. You have to open yourself up and, and try some things. And yeah, like you said, there were some things that I'm like, man, I don't, I don't think that work. You try it and you're like, man, my, like, I feel pretty good after doing that. Like, I think I'm going to like, you know, like I said, subtract that, put that in, um, whether it's driveline or the Fred athletics place, um, or a little thing that an organization, like it's like their thing, but they always do. And it's like, Hey, like this, this kind of works. So it's it's a constant at addition, subtraction, um, of thing, but it's, again, it just goes down to just, you know, the, from on a day-to-day basis, there's times where I don't want to do things, yeah. but it's, I think that's for everybody, every profession, but it's, you know what? It's, 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 it's hard. It's, it's a mental grind to do that every day. And there's days where you don't want to, but I am going to win at the margins by doing this when I don't want to, because most people will not. And that's, that for me is over the course of time of a season of a career, you think about those little margins gain and you look back and it's like, guys are way behind you and you made strides, you know, in, 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 you know, four or five, six years time. Right. It's I mean, like everybody, 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 when they're a hundred percent, everybody's nasty. You're in triple yeah. a, you feel great. You're going to go out there and throw six shutty. Everybody, when you feel horrible, it's going to be a tough day. Who are the guys that when they're at 75% can get themselves to 80% and like where, how can I win those games? But the other thing, Jack, before you move off a of routine, I wanted to jump in on this. Cause like another thing that I, I believe in with routine is like, it's preached so much. And now I'm, it's preached at the lower levels. It's preached in high school. Now I'm sure like create this routine. Um, but I remember when I got to like, first got the pro ball, I was like, man, you have to have a routine or you're not going to succeed. And I always thought that a routine was like, Hey, I have to do this every single day. That's my routine. Yeah. But then I came to realize that all that a routine is, is whatever it takes you that day to feel as though you're prepared as prepared as you could be for the day. So like, that doesn't mean I have to take exactly 16 swings. That doesn't mean I have to throw exactly 25 pitches. What that means is that in the sixth inning, when I'm 0 for 3, and I'm go, or in the ninth inning when I'm 0 for 3 and I'm going for that fourth at bat, or I'm 3 for 3, I feel just as prepared. When I'm in the sixth inning and I've thrown five shutty, or when I'm in the sixth inning and I've given up 15, I, I know that there's nothing else I could have done that day to be prepared for that day. And I think that's the important thing for people to take is, it's that's where I come back to the thought, right? Like, yes, I got to get my body right. I got to feel right. But part of that is if you feel right, that's your routine for that day. You're going to feel prepared. Yeah. I was, I was almost thinking about it, like building off the routine thing. You know, it's, it's like showing up to the gym and like you hop on the elliptical for two hours. Like that's not going to solve longstanding issues. Right. But you, right. you do 45 minutes every day for two months, you start to see things happen and that creates a higher baseline for you. So Jared, I'm sure you feel that like 50th percentile Jared Eikhoff, 25th percentile Jared Eikhoff is higher than it was five years ago. Like obviously people have those crap days where, Hey, nothing's working, whatever. It's a wash. Like Taylor's point, you have those 100th percentile days where everything works and you can do no wrong. 
but where's the level of your 50th percentile, right? And that's probably climbed as your routine has become like more and more consistent. That routine obviously got you to the bigs. Before you got to the bigs, you were part of an eight player trade. Two went from what? Philly to Texas. Six went from Texas to Philly. Yeah. I was going to say, how many of the eight can you name? Um, so the one that sneaks in there that people don't know is Matt Harrison. Uh, is that, is that name on there? Yeah. So he, he was having back trouble and people always forget that they're like, Matt Harrison was in that trade. And I don't know what the logistics were on that or the reason behind that. I, I think it was, um, I think it was a money thing. Philly just took the, the money as contract. Um, cause he hadn't, I think he couldn't pitch the last two or three years of his contract. Uh, if I, if I remember that correctly, because of his, he, he has back fused, uh, together. Um, so you had Matt Harrison, you had Jorge Alfaro. Yep. Uh, you had my, uh, Alec Asher. Yep. Um, and then you had, so Cole Hamels, uh, Jake Diekman. Yep. Those were the uh, two that went from Philly to Texas. Yes. And then, two more. um, I, I hope they're like your buddies. I hope they're your buddies. Jake Thompson, was it? Jake Thompson. Jake, Jake Thompson, Thompson was in it. Okay. Another okay. outfielder was in it. Um, man. You Is he a big leaguer? said Nick Williams. You said yeah, Nick Williams? Yeah, I think I said, I thought I said, maybe I didn't. Oh, I didn't hear Nick good. Williams either. Yeah, okay, you got sorry. Nick Williams. All right, you I just went eight for eight. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> what was that experience like? Because obviously, you know, every – Every player on deadline day has the thought in their back of their mind. When did it like actually set in when you were told like, Hey, stop getting dressed. So it's funny. I was actually shagging uh, during BP. I was about, I was on the bucket and my pitching coach comes over. This is two weeks before the trade deadline. And, and, and for me, I am just like, I've always been super like I'm at triple air now. Like this is, I never thought I would achieve this. Like this is incredible. And I, but I'm focused on the task and I'm just, you're just kind of like, wow. And like, you never think you're going to be traded. It's kind of the, in my opinion, I was like, I never thought I'd be traded. I, I really, um, and I remember him saying like, Hey man, trade, trade, trade deadlines coming up. You never know. And like, I, we were just having a conversation and that's what he said. And I'm like, okay, like <laughs> whatever. And then here, two weeks later, I'm actually pitching that day. Um, I'm through five innings. I'm through five innings. Probably, I, I mean, I'm, I kid you not, I was probably at 40-some pitches. I mean, I was cruising. I was the most, without a doubt, the most efficient game I'd ever had um, to that point or definitely that season. And, you know, manager, I come in the dugout, shakes my hand. I'm like, what is going on? You know, I'm just like, there you go. I'm going to finish this thing. Like, what are we doing? And um, he just, I remember him shaking his hand. He goes, hey, we got some stuff going on. So just, you know. And I, and I, again, I'm so locked into the game. I'm like, what, what could possibly be going on? Like, we're so like, mad. I can only yeah. imagine how mad you were. Oh, I was so mad. I'm like, I'm like, oh, Woody, I am cruising. I didn't say this in my head. I'm like, I'm cruising right now. I'm like, I'm dapping up. I'm sitting in the dugout. And yeah, I'm like, I'm kind of mad. What is going on? This pitch count stuff is killing me. And then, um, and then I had, there were some other coordinators in town and they kind of came up. He goes, Hey, um, you know, if you did, you know, trade love that deadlines today, and there's actually they're intensifying talks with the Rangers or with the uh, with the Phillies, and I go, oh okay, and then like still didn't process, just still into the game. I'm like, what is going on? 
And then I'm like, oh, like, oh, being traded. Like, I, there's a chance I'm being traded. Like, this is just crazy. So then inning finishes. I go inside. I start doing my arm care and stuff. They had a TV on. MLB Network's on. And it's, like, in the big, bold, red, flashing flashing on bottom. Like, hey, you know, Phillies and Rangers have intensified talks. And trade talks for Cole Hamels. And then um, I want to say – I don't know if I got a text, you know, people were just speculating and then the, the game was over. I, you know, said, hi, you know, everybody come in. We, I think we won the game and manager grabs me, pulls me in and uh, says, hey, you've been, you've been traded to the Phillies for, for Cole Hamels. And so it was just like a surreal, right surreal thing. And my, one of my good friends, Alec Asher was actually on the team as well. So we, that was, I think, the best part about it is that, for one, I knew other guys as well that I played with, you know, Alfaro and, and Nick Williams, things like that. But to have, like, a pretty close friend go with you, that was pretty – that made everything just so much easier, so much more comfortable, um, all that. But just a really, like I said, a great thing for my for my personal career, just opportunity-wise. Did you go straight to the big leagues? Uh, no, I made actually two starts – or was it three star? I think I made no. I made three starts with uh, with Lehigh Valley in in Philly, and then uh, and then went up. So his 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 uh his bullpen coach his first year in the big leagues was my pitching coach in AAA for like four years. You got to tell the story. What's oh uh, uh your first experience with Rod Rod Nichols? Yeah. Rod Nichols was the bullpen coach yeah. in Philly his first year, and he was my pitching coach in Iowa for a long time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so Rod is incredibly. I don't mean this in like a bad way. He's incredibly dry. He's very I, would, I knew it so dry. Just the maybe the driest person I've ever met. Um which is which is great. It's great in a number of ways. But um so I I got called up. I ended up pitching. It went well. Uh then I guess I guess it was 2 days later. Uh yeah, 2 days later is a Sunday. Um we ended up it was, you know, travel left and you know, it's my first Road trip in the big leagues. So for show, show, show trip. Brody, uh in the big leagues. And uh, it's, you know, we got to be downstairs at, you know, a certain time, whatever, for the bus. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's about 30 minutes before bus time. And I'm like, you know, to make sure I get get down there early, just you know, get get the seat the back of the bus, get my luggage down there, whatever. So I walk down, of course, with my luggage, uh, walk to the front desk, check out with my luggage. And, uh <clears throat> Rod comes over, just he kind of strolls over to me and goes, um, what are you what are you doing? <laughs> like it like like he was mad. Like like he was I couldn't like I, I don't know Rod. I've met him for two days now. And he goes, What are you what are you doing? And I I immediately read in the face and I'm like, Did I what did I do wrong? What what's going on here? He goes, You didn't you didn't call your luggage down. Like you don't what do you what do you, why are you handling your luggage in the in the lobby? And I I I said, I, I have no idea. I, I had it had to get from one point to another. Like it had to go up to downstairs. And he goes, Yeah, you you call the call the bell stand and you haven't you haven't taken it down. You never you never handled your luggage, your own luggage. I was like, Okay, okay, sorry. Like he and he again, he's just stone cold. Yeah, I, I yeah there's no him. smile at all. Yeah, and and like I said, I think he's mad. So I'm like, I am just rattled. Like I'm I'm rattled. You know, like. So then they put the luggage behind the desk and they take it out to the bus. And um, like the whole time, the whole time I'm rattled. And then um, I want to say like it was later that day. I was like done playing catch. And he, he came, comes over to me again the next time I see him that day. And he's like, you know, like, you know why I said that? 
And I'm like, honestly, I'm still kind of wrapping my head around. I'm still kind of rattled. And he goes, yeah, you just, it's kind of like the way of the thing, the way of the land. You just don't, you know, you always have the bell, the bell stand, come up, get your luggage, bring it down. It's just kind of a, it's just kind of what you do. You don't want to be seen handling your own things, you know? And uh, I was like, okay. And he was like, he was more laughy then. And like, I guess more like open to it and, and this and that. But I, like I said, the whole day I was just rattled. I couldn't tell one way or the other if he was mad or whatever. It was just, <laughs> just rod it's just so the, funny it's, it's such a rod moment too like knowing yeah. rod he's a i mean he's an unbelievable baseball mind but like he's a guy that came up with the same thinking that we did like you help that generation he's just so dry that when he does it like you think he's mad at you it doesn't matter what he's telling you you just think he's mad uh you know but yeah that's uh when i first when i first met jared or like when i first thought about this i texted rod i go rod did you have jared and in indy or in uh, in philly and he was like, yeah. And so I didn't even ask Rod. I just asked Jared, like, hey, did you, did you know Rod? And that story came out. And I was like, man, that's awesome. Was that your welcome to the big leagues moment? Like, hey, we don't handle our own backs. Um, that that was definitely like a piece of it, yeah. Um, and it's one of those things you know and you hear about. But it was the first time of me experiencing that. Like, I didn't know to – you know, use the, 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 the hotel room phone to call the, like, you just don't, you have no idea. <laughs> so, and I'm just, you know, like, as, as naive as, as they come. So it's like, I'm just clueless on that, on that, on that end. So yeah, it was, that was definitely one of the probably four or five moments that was just like, okay, this is, this is where we're at. This is what we're doing. So you get up to Philly and you share a clubhouse with some guys that, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by, right? I, like Ryan Howard was on that team. Chase Utley was on that team. You had Carlos Ruiz, who I know Taylor loves is like that guy caught so many studs. You've got a young Aaron Nola in that clubhouse with you. Um, I, I want to start with Nola and then I want to get to some of the vets. Cause like Jeff Francoeur was on that team. Eric Kratz, who I think is like a manager in waiting on that team. Um, yeah, we'll get to the vets, but g- give me your first take on a young Aaron Nola. What was that guy like to watch at it? Because he was amazing at LSU, obviously. Yeah, he he was great. Like he he spent he spent a year in the minor leagues. I mean, I th- from the day he got drafted to you know fast forward a year later, I believe that it was very close to a year from when he got drafted is when he was in the big leagues. Because see, I think I want to say he got up he got up to Philly about three weeks or so before I did. Um, three weeks to a month month before I did, um, but obviously we're there at the same time or same year. Uh, but he he was just like special. And TD kind of mentioned it earlier. The guys that you know, there's guys that you know think a certain way, but on video it looks totally different. Aaron Aaron knows himself so well that you know he says he's like, man, I feel this. I feel like I needed to to do this to get me to do that. And when you watch the video, you he's doing exactly what he says, and it looks exactly the same. And he's just got an unbelievable feel for what his body's doing or what it needs to do, and the adjustment to get back to it if he's off. It's it's incredible. Um, and th- I think that's the thing that really stuck out with me, um, with him, and then his just ability to execute at such a unique arm slot too. Um, it's a super low arm slot. The curveball. Uh, the feel for change up the spin, it just like I said, just his feel overall was, was incredible. And he was, you know, he's just, he, he reads hitters. Well, he just has this innate like knack for just processing the game. 
you know, inside, inside of that, inside the lines. It's, it's crazy. What, what was some of your experience like with some of those veteran bats? Yeah. So yeah, Howie, Howie was a great, a great like team guy. He was on the back end of his, of his career, obviously, but he, I think that was great for everybody because he was, he was the guy that was, you know, the clubhouse guy would talk to you in the dugout if he wasn't playing or if he was in between ABs. Like he was just a great dude. Um, and then yeah, a bunch of people have seen his his like interactions on TV. Like, is that how he is? Like, is what yeah, you see dude. him? Yeah, he's great. I, he really is great. Um, his wife's great. They have great family. Like, he, he's he's a pretty a really really genuine dude. And uh, he was like I said, really really cool to be around him. Um, and then Ruiz, he didn't speak. He speaks English, doesn't speak it like a ton. He's he's very very quiet. Um, and I I told this to people before, like when we're pitching it, he didn't necessarily. It was rarely outside of the game that you were pitching that he would really really get out and talk to you about the game or learning. He would like teach you during the game, and it was like a real a weird thing. Um, but I just remember it was an at bat against Michael Conforto. And, you know, we both knew that he hammers fastballs down and away. Like, he just hammers heaters that are away. And we got to we got to an at-bat. We got to a point. I think I went curveball first pitch, first strike. And then he calls fastball away. And I'm like, I'm like, chooch. In my head, I'm thinking, like, chooch, we know this. Like, what are we doing? And I shake, you know, and he go and he, like, he, he tilts his head to the side. He tilts the head to the side. He kind of like gives me a little subtle nod, and he gives me he gives me a fastball away again. And I'm like, okay, he wants me to go like off the dish, farther off to to set up maybe the next pitch. So I throw a little two seamer down away just off, and I see Conforto kind of lean out, like give a really hard take to it, like he's wanting to swing but doesn't. And then he kind of gives me another one. He gives me another little sideways, you know, head nod is type thing, and he goes, you know, slider in. So we go slider in, and perfectly executed he swings he breaks his bat rolls it over to first you know um a, you know three unassisted put out and you know we're running off and he's kind of just like nodding his head smiling like you see now you know <laughs> um and it was like i get goosebumps talking about it because it's it, it was just it was it was just it's it's we were just so and he had seen so many pictures and and had done exactly what he did with me with you know roy halliday and and cole hamels and you know, all these guys, Roy Oswald, like, you know, Cliff Lee, just crazy. So, like, you know, I just got a little snippet of that in, a, you know, one at bat, four pitch, three pitch sequence. So, it was just, like, stuff like that with, with Chooch. That's cool. Um, You crossed over with, with Bryce for a year, his first year from Washington to Philly in 2019. And that's a guy that, like, I want to gather more information on him any chance I get. Because he is, you know, like, I think Taylor said it best at, at the beginning of, you know, this pod. Um, he said nobody takes over a postseason series like Bryce Harper. Like, nobody can will their team to a win like Bryce Harper. What is that guy's mentality like on a day-to-day basis? Just a, away from the field, like when the when the lights aren't on, when the cameras aren't on, just that guy in a clubhouse, how does he exist especially after putting pen to paper for $300 million. Um, so he, he is a, he, how I put this, he, he's a, 
performer in a lot in a lot of different ways. I think TD can understand that. He is a he just performs like he he is a performer, and when he gets when he gets in between those lines, he is. I mean, he is putting on a show, and because he he knows he can do it, and he knows that's what's expected. So it's whether it's you know in the dugout, like you know him focusing, his locking into his at bat in the outfield, you know making uh, making you know good throws. Is he's he's going all out for balls. Um, he, he wants he really genuinely wants to make that that crazy throw he, he made a crazy throw from I I forget who was running but he made a crazy throw from the right field wall in Philly to third base in the air and got the guy out at third trying to you know trying to stretch a double to a triple and you know he he like thrives on that and he wants to do that um, and then outside the lines and I think I've, me and TD have talked about this before is he has had to be that person and be the guy since he was 16 years old. And that is, I personally could not imagine having to navigate and handle that. So I think what you see after, I mean, how old is he? 30 years old now? Is he 31? Um, Having to do that for that long, I think outside the lines, once that game's over, he is it He's is awesome. it is cash. I mean he is cashed. And so like I mean I couldn't I can I only did it for a very short amount of time at that at that point. And he's done it for like I said, with not even close to the amount of high PS. But just you know, I think he when he gets done with the games, it's pretty he is very, very low key. He is um he wants to be home with his family, and that's that's kind of it. And I think I, that's that's like I think that's most most stars in baseball. To be honest with you, like most of the guys yeah. that are uber talented that I've been around, that's how it is. I'm I'm this is what I do. I show up. I give everything I've got to this game, and I'm gonna go home, and I'm gonna sit at home until I show up tomorrow and do the exact same thing again. And it's like a little bit. Some of the guys, it's because I'm exhausted. Some of the guys, it's because I love it so much. You know, like I, I've never played with him, but like you hear stories about Nolan Arenado being like that. Like I've heard stories about Nolan Arenado being like, dude, that dude. Lo- I've heard that guy loves baseball more than more than anybody in the game, right? Like Bryce is just a different gamer. Like he needs, he thrives. Like you said, like you can tell that he thrives off that intensity, which is why I, I do think he can take over a series better than anybody in baseball. And like there is no market too big for Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, I, I'll be honest with you, like. If I'm New York, I'm probably kicking myself for not getting Bryce Harper because he's a guy that could have succeeded in New York. He's a guy that could have handled that pressure. Um, now, like as we're seeing, and like Jerry can probably attest to this, like I, I think in the past five years, you've really seen Philly turn into one of those markets, right? Like those fans are volatile, man. Those are those are tough fans. Um, they're as they're as good as they can get when you guys are winning and when you're doing well, right? But if you're not doing well or you're Alec Bohm and you make a mistake. It's tough for a while until you until you figure it out. So like, it's not like he went to an easy market, um, but man, like, it, it's cool seeing like it's cool hearing that because you can kind of sense that. And you know, like one of the things that I've talked about a couple times on the pod, Jared, is like, you know, I think that it's a misnomer that guys are locked in for for three hours, right? 
Like, I'm sure Bryce comes in from the inning, the innings that he doesn't hit, and he's got to relax for, for five minutes because he's going to go back out there and try to make the big play for three outs, and then he's going to come back in, he's going to try to hit the homer. So, like, any time that he can get to recoup and get ready and regenerate, he's got to take it. But he's a guy that has the ability to lock in. I would guess he's, he's probably figured out how to flip a switch as good as anybody in baseball. And, like, you see it, like, uh, two years ago when uh, I, I like I played him in Philly and like I don't know Bryce Harper I, I think he's incredible I've got a signed jersey but like he, he's he's uh, you know he comes up to the plate and he said hey Taylor congrats on getting back man like he didn't have to do that but like also him doing that before that bat like in September when they're making a push and he's making a push to be the MVP that says a lot. Because he then had the ability to go, hey, man, like, congrats on getting back here, dude. That's sick. And then he, like, looked at his bat, did his little pregame routine, and hit a home run off Will Crow. Like, you know, <laughs> it's it's the ability to do that that makes him different than, than most people in the game, man. Like, most people in the game are walking up already locked in. This dude's like, hey, I got a second. Let me, let me flip this switch real quick. And, like, I will also say this about Bryce Harper, like, as far as game calling goes. I'm not sure that I've been around somebody or like get, tried to game call against somebody where during 2021, he was the MVP in 21, right? Yeah. I'm not sure so, I've had yeah. the game call against, huh? And also in 15 as well. I knew he was in 15, but like, yeah. when you looked at his scouting report and you looked at like his stuff last year, it was so cut and dry, the places you couldn't go. And it was like, it was like, Hey, if you throw this pitch here, he's going to hit a home run. Like, it's not that, like, you just can't go there because he might hit a single. No. You can't throw this. I don't care if it's your best pitch. You can't throw this pitch there. And it was it was a change-up away. I remember one of them was a change-up away from a righty. And I was like, don't throw a change-up away from a righty. And I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, well, we've already determined that there's no fastballs in. We can't go fastballs up. Uh fastball down and away is just as bad as the changeup down and away and he doesn't chase the breaking ball under so you go ahead and make me an at bat with that information right there. is there is there anybody you face jared where like you read the scout or like you just get the feel of that guy and it's like i can't win against you yeah i mean there, there's definitely um do you have a guy do you have i might have asked you this question do, do you have a guy that that has that has always got you and do you have a guy that you've always gotten? So, so Freddie Freeman, so Freddie Freeman, like my first in, in 15, I got him pretty good. Like he did not, he did not do much of anything. Um, and then after 15, he, he was, I think I looked it up eventually. I think he hits like, I want to say he hits like three something off me. But the curveball, he's never – he's got a zero average on my curveball. So I always said if I face him again, I'm literally just going to throw him just nothing but curveballs. Uh, show me heaters probably out of the zone and then just all curveballs. Um, but uh, but actually, like Bryce Harper, I he's got, a, he's got, I think, a double off me. He's got a double and a homer off me. But outside of that, I have struck him out quite a bit. Like I struck him out in 15 three, three times in a game. Um, and that, so like it, it, he would, I don't know what he would say. He would say like, I don't know if he's got me cause he's got a homer off me, you know, um, you know, I'm in, I'm in his book, but 
I don't know. That, that's that's kind of – I know Gene Segura. Gene Segura was always a tough – he's a tough out. He's just scrappy. Uh, that's who I always say. It was a tough out for me. All right. Most talented arm that you've been around? Because obviously I, I love the pitcher-to-pitcher conversations because when you share – you know, a rotation or, or even a bullpen guy. Um, if you are in a staff with somebody, chances are you're watching most of their bullpens, right? Like who are some of the most talented arms that, that you've been around and guys that you like to bounce stuff off of? Um, so one, one of the guys, and I, and I'm kind of biased because I saw him in the minor leagues and then I saw him in the Billies, but it was Jose Fernandez. That, that guy, I mean, I was with, I pitched against him in low A. And this guy was locating 90, 96 to 98 in low A. I mean, this guy was big league ready in low A. It was incredible. I mean, he was just – guys were coming back to the dugout laughing, shaking their head because they're like, what am I supposed to do with it? Like, this guy, this type of player should not be in low A right now. Right. Um, and then he goes to the big leagues and, like, you know, he was – you know, unfortunately, if you know, if he, if he could have pitched for, like – more time i mean he was great in the small amount of time that he pitched but if he could have had a chance to keep pitching like his stuff was electric um i think just, there's an arg- i think there's an argument to be made that that and i pe- plenty of people made it but that his death like truly changed the game the the state of the game because yeah. if he's on that marlins team they probably don't disband right like you've got your superstar in giancarlo stanton at that point You've got your superstar in Jose Fernandez, and you've got some really good pieces, as we really know Yelich, now. Real Muto, right? Ozuna yeah. at the time, um, right. Echeverria was a was a good player. Like you had a lot of real. D. Gordon was a was a a, a batting title winner. Like true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, honestly, like I think that there's a good argument to be made that that truly changed the landscape of the game, not just Miami. You know, obviously, it changed the landscape of Miami but I think it really did change the entire landscape of baseball because of the movements that occurred after. Interesting. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And that was the one, that was the only thing they lacked um, was pitching. I mean, I feel like they were, it wasn't an easy lineup. I mean, I remember talking to Noah about it. Like, you know, Yelich was, Yelich wasn't his, I guess, peak Yelich that we know now, like his contract Yelich. But like, I remember going to his at-bats and you had to, and I remember this too. You had to go inside when you were ahead, and you'd have to go away when you were behind. Like, or uh, how it shook up. But I remember I had to throw heaters inside an account that wasn't typically normal, and I had to do things differently because he was so he was so locked in and was not going to miss uh, certain pitches. I mean, it was crazy. And yeah, Real Muto, like he, you know, he was coming up, and he was always a good player coming up, like a tough out. Like there was a good lineup, and that was the one thing they lacked was pitching. Um, I think, and they, they never really spent a ton of money on that. And then it just, and then, you know, Jose Fernandez, that whole thing. And then it just kind of, like you said, this kind of fell apart, but I, I agree with TD 100%. Gotcha. You know, a little bit of the Yelich stuff too. I think, I think an interesting like aspect of looking at Yelich is when he went to Milwaukee and he, and he obviously had that monster year in Milwaukee, um, you know, Yelich in Miami was, if I had to, go to guess with 280 to 290 with like 15 to 20 right like that's what he was looking at he goes to milwaukee and it ends up being 300 plus with uh you know what do you have like 30 plus homers it was 40 i always look he had 40 that year i think so okay so like he had he had that monster year and i always remember thinking like man 
Like both of those numbers are crazy. The fact, but then you then you look at where he played. What 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 was it? What was the year? It was so 2018. He hit 326 with 36, and then 2019 he hit 329 with 44. That what was, was the, what was the what was the last year in Miami? Last year in Miami was 282 with 18, 36 doubles. So, so yeah, like, you nailed it. yeah, I was pretty close. So the reason I I remember thinking that is because like he hits 20 more homers. If nothing else, that's 20 more hits. Like, there's your average. And honestly, going from Miami to Milwaukee, you're go- if you're a guy that hits a ball in the air like Christian did, you're gonna have an opportunity to hit 20 more. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know what happened to Christian, and I'm not gonna speculate what happened to Christian and why he went from 320 to with 36 to where he's at now. Um, I think there's some injury stuff there that's just never been right. I yeah. think that. You know, I think that's kind of been underplayed. Um, but, you know, what he did those, those two years, man, those were really impressive. But like I said, I think so many people questioned, like, dude, how is he doing that, going from Miami to, to Milwaukee? Like, that was a massive jump. And I think if you really just look at that simple stat alone, it's like, dude, you add 20 hits, you're going to add 20 points, 30 points to your adding average. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. Jared, last one from me. You're in a really – interesting spot right now where you're still sitting unsigned right so i'm curious how you go about the offseason like i'm sure it was you know totally normal offseason for you but as we start to get into february mid-february now we're in the beginning of march how are you going about your offseason are you still you know throwing pens consistently what's going on yeah so i'm doing i'm doing almost like a monday uh a monday thursday type of on the bump throwing schedule so it'll be you know uh, extended like type pen bullpen on monday and then i'll do like live hitters which i was uh doing yesterday at um at some local colleges um so i depending on what, what college is, is schedule works out i'm i'm throwing i'm throwing to their guys or guys they have available um and they've been it's been it's actually been pretty pretty great uh just being able to you know, you know, because my one of my good friends is now like a uh, head coach at a at a small uh, D three gotcha. or NAI by, and then uh, I have a really close relationship with both the D one colleges here now. So it's it it's it's a pretty fluid situation there. But uh, yeah, the off season was normal up until about uh, about three weeks to a month ago, I guess about three weeks ago, and then it's you're 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 kind of looking around like what is going on. Um, you know, this is just not normal for me. I'm usually you know somewhere somewhere warm uh which i should say warm here but a little bit but um you know it, it's different but again and this goes back to our very first thing it just comes down it's back to the process um the circumstances don't affect what what i'm doing it's just extending uh what i would normally do and what i would deem an off season uh so that's just continuing um and you're just like i said you're waiting for an opportunity um you know, I think March 6th is a, is a big date with World Baseball Classic firing up. So there's going to be, you know, there's guys going injured, you know, guys getting injured left and right right now. And then uh, mixed with guys leaving Big League Camp to do the whole world, the, do the Classic. Um, you know, there's – I'm in waiting with some teams as far as if there's a need there uh, to go that route. Um, and if nothing goes uh, goes to plan there, um, then it, it may be a Lexington – uh indie ball play uh there in the Atlantic League so that's kind of right now that tentative schedule of what what's uh what's in the future for me 
it's it's just such an odd timeline right now and it's gotten weirder and weirder as the years have gone on like you're wearing a padre shirt right now like reckon jerks and profar isn't signed yet what's like it's so weird to see what's going on with this type of thing and we've got a bunch of other good starters that have yet to be signed bundy has yet to be signed right mike minor has yet to be signed so it, it's just a really weird thing going on right now yeah and you you said it i was gonna say you know dylan bundy made 30 starts at what call it i think it's gonna be 29 starts but he made 30 starts last year and this you know and he had like i want to say it was a four nine era or something it was in the he had a four era which in this baseball as a starter throwing 150 whatever plus innings i mean you it gets you i don't right it, it, it gets you you can't say it doesn't add value and and that's where that's where I think the game is. You know, he's he's lost some ticks. I would say his, his average fastball maybe around ninety uh, now, and people are associating that with you know lack of call it success or whatever. But um, you know that guy that guy pitches. He was a high prospect. You know, threw a hundred miles an hour. Was like, had tons of injuries early on. Had a rough start. Um, but man, fought his way back. And then he's he's a pitcher. I mean, he, he's a he's a pitcher now. And like I said, a guy like that sitting at home is um you know objectively outside of myself there's some good big leaders that are that are still inside like you said bro far i mean good solid big leaders that are just not signed and it's it, it just makes you it calls into question you know what's going on you know what's going on and how, how guys are being evaluated right I, I think it's like the we talk about the expected values and, and you know you talk about the, the miles per hour and the fact that dylan bundy's not throwing as hard and like teams are going to look at his expected value and it's not going to be as high as what they expect to have to pay him. You know, me and Jared mm-hmm. have talked about this the whole time. I think one of the things with like a lot of these, you know, there's a there's a lot of big leaguers that aren't signed. But Jack, there's even more minor league free agents that have been around that that like me and Jared have talked to so many buddies that like there are just so many people sitting at home that just don't they haven't heard anything. It's not like they've been telling teams no, it's I've heard nothing. And I almost question if like they look at it and go, man, like well, he's made this much money the past few years. Like, no way he's going to take that. Like, you know, the thi- I ask, find yeah. out. So many guys like, I, I think play that, ball, right? Yeah, like, and I think that, that, hap- that, that that's happening to guys like Dylan Bundy. Like, I'm sure there are teams that would probably offer him a minor league deal, but they're like, ah, he wouldn't take a minor league deal. Like, find out. So many of the – give me a minor league – Cole Hamels just took a minor league deal. Give me a minor hmm. league deal with some opt-outs. Everybody – look, man – one thing about baseball players is just like every other athlete, we're competitors, and most of us are are just going to go out there and try to believe that we can make a team. So you give us an opportunity, we're going to either outwork you or outplay you, one of the two. Either way, I'm going to make it hard for you not to put me on the team. So I'll take a minor league deal if it's the only thing I got. Let me get to the big leagues. I'll show you how I can get to the big leagues. You know, it's – it's uh, I'll tell you, the, you know, and, and me and Jared have talked about it, like the interesting part for Jared is is not yet. It's like – he's still relatively in, in, you know, spring training mode. Like at this point in Jared's spring training, even if he was in big league camp somewhere, he would be doing pretty much the exact same thing he's doing right now. Yeah. The only difference is he's not around a team. The interesting thing will be in two weeks. Like if he hasn't signed in two weeks, that's when Jared's going to have to make a decision on, on ramping up his, his throwing because then teams are going to go, okay, like, are you going to be ready to throw four innings for me in April? Because I don't need Jared Eikhoff to throw. You know, one thing that I think is so impressive about what Jared does and, and, and the way that he goes about everything is, you know, when you look at AAA and you see guys that 
older veteran starters, one way you can always tell who a big leaguer is, is it doesn't matter how many runs, how many pitches they've given up. They're getting through five innings. Just doesn't matter. Whether you give up 20 or whether you throw a no hitter, you're going to give me five innings. And so that's one of the things that Jared does. And he, I know that he prides himself on that, right? Like there were times in, in September last year when he was getting pulled out after the seventh and he's like, what are we doing? And I like, <laughs> I was standing there like with the manager and he's like, dude, you're at, you're at 104 pitches. What do you mean? What are we doing? <laughs> like, like, but that's just Jared. But like, that's where, that's where right? like, that's, we lost you. Yeah. No, we got you. Like, hold on, Look at your blanket, man. Look at the Indianapolis <laughs> Indians blankets. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but you know that's where like that's where that value comes, and so like I, that's the that's you know Jared knows that, but like that's the that's going to be the part for him is like okay, like am I going to be ready to throw four innings? Because when a team calls, they're going to say, hey, like I need you to step in and start for me. I need you to throw me four innings. Like I can give you two weeks, but in two weeks, can you throw? Can you start? And, uh, you know, I, I think there's no doubt anybody that knows Jared that he'd be able to and shoot, he'd be able to right now. But like, um, you know, I think that's a question that's going to be a question for a lot of these guys. And a lot of these guys that are sitting home, they're going through the question in general, like, man, what do we do? I keep throwing? Do I not throw? Do I like what do we do? And, and, you know, so many of us have been around so much structure for so long that it gets hard. Right. Like you've been around structure, you go to, a, you know, these guys that went to power five schools, you were around structure, micromanaged structure then. And now you go to pro ball, clearly there's structure there from the time that you get there. And a lot of these guys are in these, these fall camps that are going in November and then December. And then you're in a January early throwing camp. And then you're coming to early camp in February, like the entire year it's structured for you. Everything's laid out. Yeah. So it's going to be hard for that first year guy. That's never done this before. Like, how do I do this? How do I survive this? Yeah. You you hit the nail on the head too. It's it's been so structured. It takes it takes a lot of energy and it sounds crazy or stupid, but to line up. Hey, I gotta talk to I gotta talk to the guy who's catching me. I gotta talk to the to the coach. I gotta I gotta see when they're practicing. I gotta like you you have to or like just to figure out times to make things work. And that that's challenging. That is like that takes it takes a lot of work. Like yesterday, I threw with um, with that NEI school close here, and it was it's their school from my house is twenty five minutes. Well, their their field isn't ready, so they actually play at this league. It's called League Stadium. It's they filmed a, a field of uh, or no uh, a league of their own. They filmed oh, they filmed yeah. a league with super old um, uh, stadium there, but it's great. It's an awesome place, and that's where they're doing their home stuff. So I had to drive you know, 45 minutes just to get, to get my work in and to do those types of things. And yeah, it's, do I want to? Yeah. Do I love doing it? Yes. But it's, again, it just adds to, we would you know, had to do usually that. I don't have to do that. He's I really walking don't have to field, you're walking onto field four at nine 30 to face right. the best three minor leaguers in the system. Right. right. I'm on the bump throwing at nine 40 and I, you know, I know what to be, you know, I know every- four catchers to throw to three guys handing him a bottle of water and two pitch coaches waiting with a towel. Right. I mean, and you're bringing your own balls to a ballpark now. I am legitimately bringing dozens upon dozens of balls the past, and it just kind of kills me because I didn't think I'd have to use those. Um, but uh, you know, they're getting they're getting burned up. You know, they're getting sent behind a backstop, and I'm thinking, there goes twelve bucks. You know, <laughs> <laughs> ones get you know ones get fouled off to the left. There's another twelve dollars. Um, 
but it, it, like I said, it's just, um, it is, it's crazy. It's interesting. But again, it's, I, I want to do it and I'm going to, again, the circumstances don't affect what's happening, you know, between here and the actual work being done. And that's, again, I think I'm making gains at the margins there and I'll be ready and be a turnkey option. Uh, if whenever, whenever somebody calls, so, you know, they, they talk about like leaders are created when nobody's watching and nobody's watching, right? Like Jared's yeah. sending video, but like nobody's sitting there in your buddy's garage with you. Like yeah. Jared's sending me videos. Jared sent me videos in the beginning of the off season of him throwing, like we were going over his, like looking at something in his motion and he's throwing videos into a net. I go, Oh sick. Is that your garage? Dude. It's like, it's like 8 PM. Like, is that your garage? That's, or is that your basement? That's sick. He's like, Oh no, that's that's my buddy's house. Actually, I go to his garage to throw <laughs> throw into a net. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. you know, but that's dedicated. I mean, that's you know, that's doing stuff. You know, one of the my favorite quotes um, I've ever heard. They said this is on Stanford's weight room. I don't know if it is or not, but they, that's what I was told. Uh, is do today what others won't, so tomorrow you can do what others can't. Yeah. And I love that. I think that's so powerful in in every breath of life. And um, it doesn't mean that you've got to like. It doesn't mean that you've got to kill yourself. Right? You don't have to like be crazy. You just got to yeah. do the things that you don't want to do. Like do what you don't want to do today because tomorrow you're going to get there, you know, and, and you got to trust that. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, it just, once again, just leads to the, it just leads to your character and shows, shows your, your passion for the game and your love of the game. Yeah. Jared Eikhoff, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, this was great. I'd do this. Let's, let's do this again for sure.